0: or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, man, that's awesome. I love watching these videos and hearing about how uh, Jesus just changes people's lives. If you weren't here a few months ago, we had a couple of these videos during our uh, Share Your Story uh, series, and um, it actually, this was kind of unplanned. If you don't know, that's, that was my dad. Um, but he was in town when we were shooting them or when the guys were shooting them. And they're like, hey, we'll shoot your dad's story just kind of for fun or whatever. And so then it kind of worked out that uh, we hadn't shown one in a while. And today's Father's Day, and my parents are in town. And so I decided to show this video. But, man, I just love... Those stories about how Jesus really transforms people's lives. If you haven't seen the other ones, uh, they're on our YouTube and our Facebook page and all that. Um, but like I said, kind of cool. This worked out uh, for me this way. I mean, maybe less special for you, but that show that video of my dad on Father's Day. Um, uh, and you know, like Neil said, it's true. In case you guys haven't heard, uh, I have ha- had a child. Um, I'm surprised that he doesn't know that, so I guess I have to talk about that more. So I'll start rehashing my messages and starting from the point of, you know, having had a child and then try to get to Jesus at the end, I guess. So um, anyways, uh, it's kind of funny this year getting to how the schedule worked out that, you know, since we became parents, I'm speaking on uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day, which I now realize are uh, the two most important you know, calendar events in the calendar year. I mean, there are no holidays to compare with Mother's and Father's Day, Uh, obviously the most significant of which is Father's Day, right? Um, So, uh, pretty cool. I got my first Father's Day card this morning Uh, from Averitt, said, uh, Dear Daddy, you're one of my favorite parents, and I was just like, man, that's that's the best. She's got way nicer handwriting than me already, so... um, we're uh, Doug kicked off this series last week. If you weren't here, it was awesome. You can catch it online called Plain and Simple. Uh, in case you're wondering, we didn't decide to do this series just because our uh, printer ran out of color ink. Uh, we thought it would be cool to just take a couple of familiar... Um, maybe kind of standard passages from Scripture and look at them over the next few weeks and see kind of what they mean for us in Western Canada in 2018. So I uh, hope that you're enjoying that. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at Exodus uh, 20 verse 12 in particular, uh, but we're going to read a bunch of Exodus 20. So I'd encourage you all, the Scripture's going to be up there, and it's, if you're using the FBC app, it's in there. But i encourage if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone or whatever, I always encourage you to open it up. We're going to jump around a little bit, but that's going to be our main text. If you have a copy in front of you, you can see it in context better, um, which I think is uh, obviously helpful. uh, on Mother's Day last month, we kicked off a parenting series uh, called The Real Planned Parented, and so we thought it might be cool today uh, to kind of reciprocate that uh, on Father's Day and look at this passage that I'm sure lots of us have heard of, uh, and talks. it tells us to honor our parents, to honor our father and mother. So we're going to be looking at that this morning, um, and I, I really quickly want to say, I think it's uh, maybe easy or natural, uh, you hear someone say, we're going to talk about honoring your father and mother and to... Th- immediately think that you know I'm specifically just kind of talking to the front three benches here and everyone else has a free pass but uh, I'm gonna guess that a lot of you adults here even if you're older than me are probably still proud owners of a father and or a mother in some combination, Um, and so I I think that this is a text that's important for all of us, uh, no matter what stage we're in, Um, so uh, I'd encourage you to lean in as we dig into the passage. Um, Anyways, I'm going to pray, and and then we'll dive in. Uh, God, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, Thank you that uh, on Father's Day, uh, most importantly, we can reflect on the amazing and perfect fatherly love that you have for us, God. As we dig into this text, I pray that um, you just let anything i say or anything that we might think uh, you know kind of get out of the way and just let uh, your word through scripture speak to our hearts and continue uh, to shape us uh, as followers of you god we love you so much amen um I want to give you guys just a little bit uh, if you have exodus 20 open i want to give you guys just a little bit of an overview of this morning uh, where we're, we're going to go uh, we are going to Pretty quickly end up in Exodus 20, um, but I'm gonna start out a little bit by giving you guys uh, just some context uh, leading up, the narrative leading up to this passage. We're gonna be talking about the law, if that's unfamiliar to you, and give a really quick overview of what we're dealing with when we talk about the law in the Old Testament. So there's gonna be a fair amount of context and intro this morning, and then we're gonna hop into some, uh, towards the end, just maybe some practical application of what this might have for us. Uh, here today. Uh, And then we'll end and uh, you can eat donuts because it's Donut Sunday. So that's kind of what this morning looks like for you. That's the next... I'm going to guess 26 minutes of your life, okay? So, anyways, um, if you've read Scripture, if you've read the text, then you might know a lot of what I'm talking about, but I think it's important to understand uh, what builds up to Exodus 20. So, when you start out at the start of the Bible, you start in this book called Genesis, which is all about uh, the beginning of things. And you have this really interesting narrative in the first chapter of the Bible where God is just speaking and things begin to exist. Planets, the universe, everything bursts into existence. And he creates it... um, Uh, In a way that brings him so much glory and honor. And and kind of he creates this universe that really worships and adores who he is. I I love that new song we're singing, So Will I. Uh, Just this idea of, you know, this massive universe, this amazing creation that God spoke into existence that speaks back and glorifies his name. And, and kind of as the crowning moment, the crown jewel of his creation, in his image, he creates people, man and woman. And he says, you can have a relationship with me, you know. And he, he, he begins this thing where, where, where they have this, this, uh, this friendship between them. But as you know, if you've read the text, that pretty quickly they mess things up with this thing called sin. And what that means is that they selfishly decided to follow their own way rather than the way of the wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God who created them. And, you know, it starts out seemingly small, if you read it, it doesn't seem like the the biggest issues, but pretty quickly, we start getting bigger issues, like lying, and stealing, and murder. And things continue to get worse. And by the sixth chapter of the Bible, you read this narrative of, no, where God's so fed up with how sinful the world has become. Anyways, God loves his creation so much that he has a plan in mind all along, and so what happens is eventually this guy named Abram shows up, and God changes his name to Abraham. He tells Abraham, you're gonna be a father of, of many nations, and this is hard for Abraham to believe because he's pretty old and some other reasons, but eventually him and his wife, they have this son. His name's Isaac, and he has some kids, uh, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob Uh, eventually has his name changed by God to Israel, and he becomes the nation of Israel. And um, that's kind of how things worked uh, back in the day. If you read the biblical text, what happens is, you know, someone decides, I'm going to start a nation. They have a bunch of kids, and they populate this nation, and the nation is just named after them, and might have tribes named after them. And so that kind of is what happens with Jacob, Israel. He starts this nation called Israel. He has 12 sons, um, and they become the 12 tribes, and one son has one of his sons, Joseph, has two sons, and they kind of become a half-tribe. It's, it's honestly really a lot like Canada. Uh, you know, if a guy back in the day, his name was Canada a couple hundred years ago, he's like, see you later, Europe. We're going over here. Starts a nation called Canada, and he's got 12 sons, and he's like, all right, you know, go make some provinces, my 10 favorite, and my two least favorite. You can go up north and make some territories. Um, freeze to death, and then one of them's like, well, you know, I got two sons, so, you know, let's turn this territory into two or whatever, but um, it, it's... Not saying that's what the biblical text is about, Um, but that's kind of how it worked. So uh, Israel, or Jacob and his sons, uh, they end up in Egypt, and they're, they're existing there, and then they end up in slavery, they're in crazy bondage, they're oppressed, and they're really owned and run by the Egyptians. And eventually God says, you know, that's not good. So he's like, I've got a plan. I'm going to liberate them. If you read the starting of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, all these crazy uh, miracles happen, all this amazing stuff. Two weeks ago, I was reading the text about God parting the Red Sea and killing a bunch of Egyptians to liberate the Israelites. And it's amazing. God does all these things. And then what happens is we end up at Exodus 20. And God now has his nation. They're wandering towards this place called the Promised Land. and, And he's ruling over them. But they're still continuing to struggle with sin. They're still continuing to trust the God who created them, who's liberated them from slavery, done all these amazing miracles. They're, trust, they're struggling to trust him. So God says, we're going to set up some parameters for this relationship. We're going to institute some laws, some rules, some things that will be for your benefit and help you have a better relationship with me, but will also help the nation of Israel uh, represent to the other nations around them who God is, represent his character to them. So in Exodus 20, you end up uh, with uh, Moses going up this place called Mount Sinai, and he gets what we, uh, w- what's called the Decalogue, or more commonly in churches, it's called the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and these are really laws that God's given. In Hebrew, the word is Torah, which, you know, talks about, uh, you know, is what we call the first five books of the Bible. This word means law, and God's giving his law to Israel to protect them and help them thrive as a nation in relationship with him. In Exodus 20, like I said, it's the Decalogue, or if you want to call it the Ten Commandments. I don't. I, I kind of prefer the name Decalogue because Ten Commandments sounds pretty exclusive, because if you read the Old Testament, they're really like 613 laws. Um, but even if you call these the Ten Commandments, it, it makes sense in a way because these are really foundational. These are, these are really broad ones that make a lot of sense. The first four uh, have to do with people's relationship with God personally. So how people interact with God are the first four of these Ten Commandments. And then the latter six are more how people interact and respond and exist with other people and some laws surrounding that. And and really the first four are laws that are all about how we can love God, and the latter six are really laws and rules about how we can love others. And maybe you've heard in churches people say, love God, love others, and this really is a really good representation of, of, of what the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue is getting at. And I love it. Jesus wraps this up in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Kind of covers the first four. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's quite the claim that 613 Hebrew laws all hang on these two commandments. So anyways, let's read through uh, these Ten Commandments, the Decalogue together, and then we're going to zero in on uh, verse 12 that talks about honoring your father and mother. So it starts out says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now remember, I want you guys to remember that verse that God starts off by reminding them that he's the God that brought them out of Egypt. Rule number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Rule two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, On the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Rule three You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Rule four. Rule five, and this is where we're going to be arriving honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Rule six, you shall not murder. Rule seven, you shall not commit adultery. Rule eight, you shall not steal. Rule nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And rule ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. He shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant. Now, I just want to pause for one second there. All these laws have been, like, really reasonable. It's like, yeah, God, we can do that. But this is where it gets really intense. Do not covet his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, that's tough because I know you go home, you see your neighbors bought that new ox, and you're like, man, why do they get all the nice things? Or your kids come home, and they're like, Dad, Mom, like, all the kids have the brand new donkey. Why are we still using this stupid four-year-old model of the donkey, you know? Um, it, it's tough. I actually uh, want to pause for a quick second because um, this commandment, while I was preparing this week, um, this is not the commandment we're talking about, but it inspired me to write a Bible joke. So I want to share it with you this morning, debut it, uh, see if it's a hit, and then maybe I can, like, sell it to some famous comedian or go on America's Got Talent with it or something. Okay. Okay. Um, why couldn't... Oh, yeah, first service doesn't un, didn't understand how this worked. I imagine you guys do, but just so you don't... If you, after I ask the j- joke, you, you can say, why? You know, okay, that's how it goes. Okay, so why couldn't the Israelite listen to music when he was out in the fields using his plow? Because he couldn't find his ox cord. Right? I know. I know, it's, it's, it's Father's Day. i got to show off my dadness and my jokes. Okay, So we have these 10 rules called the Decalogue. And what's going on is is God's kind of laying some foundation. And again, this is really a representation of his love. This isn't him keeping Israel under his thumb, oppressing them and saying, you have to obey me. But he's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you guys to do well and to flourish. And and these rules are good for you. And, And these will help you love me and love others. Before we zero in a little bit more on Exodus 2012, I want to quickly reference something that I think happens a lot. I think when we talk about the Old Testament in church, uh, some things happen. I, th- I think sometimes we read the laws or the rules from the Old Testament, and, and we think, you know, that's Old Testament, that's you know, it's back in the day, we don't really have to do that anymore, that doesn't matter anymore, and I really think that's an unhealthy view of how Scripture works. The Old Testament, all its laws and narratives and rules and everything, uh, creates this amazing foundation for the kingdom that Jesus brings in when he shows up in the New Testament. And, and Jesus makes reference to this. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't done away with that. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I've, got, I've almost come to intensify it and make it more real and make it more of a thing of vivid, tangible love that you can feel and experience. And, you know, that's not to say, I mean, I know you've read some things in the Old Testament where it says, like, you can't eat bacon and stuff like that. And there are some things that are a little bit different now. Thank goodness on the bacon thing. But, um, the uh, y- you know, when you read the Old Testament, a really unhealthy view is to say, yeah, this is just the stuff that happens before Jesus come and cha- comes and changes this up. One big change I'll say that happens is this. I think a lot of people, they read the Old Testament, and they're like, oh, man, I am so glad I didn't live in the Old Testament days because it's so hard. you got to, like, go and slaughter animals and make these sacrifices and do all these things. And I actually think that that's kind of uh, missing the picture of what's really going on in the New Testament because, if anything, the New Testament raises the bar to a whole other level. You read the Old Testament, you're like, I'm glad I don't have to slaughter animals or anything. And Jesus says, Yeah, hey, you don't have to slaughter animals, but the sacrifice now is you, your whole life. So when we read law, we do ourselves a disservice to think, you know, that's Old Testament. That's that's not really we should read it and see it intensified by Jesus' love manifest as he died on the cross for us. And say, this is the type of loving obedience and fulfillment that he calls us to when we read. law. So when we read a passage that talks about honoring your father and mother, you can look at the Old Testament text and say, I don't know, that's for them. Or else you could look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, Man, this is like this is real. This is this is intense. Jesus has raised the bar to a whole nother level. Exodus 2012. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. And I could say a lot about that, but I want to move to some application pretty quickly. I think it's really fitting that this commandment shows up right in the middle of the Ten Commandments after the first four. As we transition from rules about our relationship with God to rules about our relationship with others. Because as we see throughout the biblical text, God is referred to as our Heavenly Father, our perfect, loving Father. And when we arrive at this, this one is a transition piece. We can reflect on the amazing and perfect love that God represents as our Father. As early as Exodus 4, you see references to God calling Israel his son and referring to us as his children. And one thing else, one other thing that I think is really interesting, you saw in verse 2, he reminds them that he's the God that brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. All throughout uh, the Old Testament text, you see God continually remind people. He says, remember me, I'm the one that brought you to slavery. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that loves you. I'm the one that cares for you. I'm the one that provides for you. He has to remind them. And why does he have to remind them? It's because as humans, we're so thick-scald sometimes, and we're so distracted by the negative. You know, we'll have three weeks of good weather, and then we'll have one day of bad weather. And what do we do? Do we say, oh, man, I'm so thankful for the good weather we've had, or do we complain about the bad weather we're having? And I think it's the same in our relationships. You have a solid relationship with someone for years and years and years, and they do that one thing to offend you or to bother you, and, man, that takes you back So many steps. And it happens with God. It happens with God in the Old Testament text. And I think that happens with God in our relationships now. And I think that happens in our relationships with others nowadays, including our parents, where we focus on the negative so easily rather than forgetting the goodness of who God is and what he's done for us and the goodness that's manifest through the gift of parents that he's given to us. For me, it's fitting because I grew up with loving parents. My dad's story there, uh, most of that took... Well, that... The the craziness took place before I was born. When I was born, I had parents that loved Jesus and loved me. And for most of my life, I took that for granted. And for most of my life, you know, I I just treated my parents as, you know, something that I had to live with, people that provided for me. And I don't want people to miss out on that like I did. You know, I I don't know who your parents are. And I want to quickly say, I know some people, maybe you've got a broken, struggling home situation going on right now. Maybe your parents aren't doing well. And I'm sorry. And I know that's not what God wants for you. But in that, there's still some things you can be grateful for, and in that, there's still hints of who God is and His perfect fatherly love that you can find, and you can still interact with this commandment to honor your father and mother. So, to get into something a little bit more applicable for the text, first of all, I'd ask two questions about this text. And the first one is, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? And maybe that seems like a really obvious question with an obvious answer, but when we arrive at this text, I think we should ask ourselves, well, what does it actually mean? What does it mean for me nowadays? And I think when we talk about honoring our father and mother, a lot of times, we focus so much on the do's and the don'ts. My parents say, do this, so I do that. My parents say, don't do this, I don't do that, follow the rules. That's honoring your father and mother. Now, I think that's part of it. I think it's great to obey your parents. But I think that's a really short-sighted view of what that looks like. And sometimes, that's a really, those are really tricky waters to navigate. You know, we get students that come up to us all the time and ask hard questions. You know, like, hey, you know, uh, my parents don't go to church, but I do, and I really want to get baptized, and my parents don't want me to get baptized. What do I do? You know, I, I've been going to church for a while. I want to start tithing. My parents don't go to church. What, what do I do? Because my parents say they don't want me to tithe. They don't want me to give money to the church. And we usually, we just kind of, like, drool and be like, I don't know. No, it's okay. Uh, we try to help them navigate that. Those are really hard questions. And even inside the church that happens, you know? Hey, I've been going to church for a while. My parents go to church. I want to start tithing. They don't want me to. You know, I want to go on the mission trip. My parents say it's too dangerous. I want to work at camp. My parents say, ah, I need to get a real job, stuff like that. And those, I'm kind of cherry-picking examples, but I mean, there are lots of examples where it gets difficult to know what it means to obey your parents' rules in a way that honors them, but also really follow Jesus and what you believe that he's calling you to. And I think those are good things that are faced uh, through relationship with older people that you can trust and some good questions to, to navigate, but it's so much more... Than the rules, And for those of us who are older, maybe there aren't so much rules, but there are opinions that your parents have. And you don't want to disappoint your parents. You don't want friction with your parents. And I think when we focus on this as our, as our drive for what it means to honor our, our father and mother, playing by the rules and not offending opinions and stuff like that, I think we get a really narrow and incomplete view of what it means to honor our father and mother. I think we're trying to honor our father's and mother's rules, but not honoring them themselves. I think this does a really bad job of reflecting who God is and how our relationship with him works. There are for sure rules in the Bible, but God's not looking for blind compliance. He calls us into a relationship, and through that, obedience will ensue. Darren referenced Hosea 6.6 when we were doing our Colossians panel, and it says this, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Well, what's interesting about that passage is that God actually does require sacrifice. God actually does desire burnt offerings. Like, I mean, the Old Testament is full. of Like, I mean, I don't know if you've read through Numbers and Leviticus. I mean, it's a long read about how to prepare your burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is a big deal to God. But he says, even more than that, I want children who love me. In comparison to the rules, I want children who love me and are filled with my grace and mercy and compassion. And out of that, I, you know, I think God's like, you'll, you'll, you'll kill some animals and stuff like that. Like, that'll be great but I want you to love me. Uh, Doug was talking about Micah 6.8 last week. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? It's an interesting question, because at the time that Micah 6.8 was written, if you asked a Hebrew living in the Old Testament times, what does the Lord require of you? They would open up the Torah, and they'd go through 613 laws and say, God requires this of us, and they would be right. But God's making a point where he's saying, you guys are blindly following rules and thinking that that's what it means to honor me? He's saying, you're missing the point. There's so much more. I want my mercy to be manifest through you. I want you to be humble and to love justice. It's so much more than just following rules and navigating the do's and the don'ts when it comes to honoring your father and mother. If you look at the Hebrew text in uh, Exodus 20 verse 12, there's this phrase, and when we talk about honoring your father and mother, you know, you can take what you would normally think about in English, and that would all be true, but what the phrase really means, or what it really points at, the main thrust of the phrase to honor your father and mother, uh, the best translation is to add weight to, or to make heavy. So make your parents heavy or add weight to your parents. Now, kids, this doesn't mean go home today and start making fat jokes about mom and dad or it doesn't mean you go home and be like, hey, I'm cooking bacon, I order pizza, you know, got some ice cream. I mean, actually, today's Father's Day, so if there's a day for that. Uh, but you're not trying to fatten up your parents. We've been discussing how parents are the most significant earthly influence that a kid will ever have. And I think even as you become an adult, there's still a massively significant influence You know, and and even if you're around them or not, they're a huge influence on your life. And this text, to make them heavy or to give weight to them means to increase and lean into that significance, to add value to that, to actually deepen the significance and the role that they play in your life. To actually lean into that relationship, not to just interact with them for the rules and, and what you need and the provision, but to actually lean in and to make that relationship bigger and heavier and more impacting in your own life than it ever has been before and the second question i would ask and i would ask this pretty much about any biblical text that i'm reading especially when it comes to laws and commandments the second question i ask is how am i doing how am i doing and i ask you today do you strive to honor your father and mother do you add weight to that relationship do you lean in and pour in and invest into that relationship And it's easy for me to make this appeal very wholeheartedly because I missed out on that for most of my childhood and even a lot of my adult years, pushing away from that relationship. And I'd hate for you guys, whether you're young or old, to miss out on that in ways that I did. This is so much more than obeying the rules. I haven't talked to a lot of parents who are like, you know, I feel so loved because the other day my kid was supposed to clean the room and they cleaned the room. Or, you know, I feel so loved because my kids generally do their chores. I talked to parents, you know, a dad, where it's like, I feel so loved because my daughter ran up and wrapped her arms around my neck and kissed me and said, I love you, Daddy. Or, you know, I talk to a mom who's like, I feel so loved because of my birthday. My son, you know, out of his own, you know, drive, he woke, he woke up early on my birthday, cooked food, and served me breakfast in bed. You know, like the house almost burnt down, I almost died, and there were tons of dishes for me to do afterwards, but, man, I felt loved, You know? And it's so important to cultivate that kind of love in your relationship with your parents if you really want to live out Exodus 2012 in your life. Do you strive to love and add value to your parents more than just saying, okay, I'll obey the rules or I'll do this or whatever? When's the last time you spent time actually just praying for your parents? Like really praying for them? And I don't mean, hey God, please help my parents know how badly I need an Xbox for Christmas. <laughs> Not that kind of prayer, but a prayer that says, hey God, thank you so much for my parent or my parents. God, please give my parents the patience that they need to raise a kid like me or even to put up with an adult child like me. And you know, give my parents the strength and the wisdom they need to push me towards them. God, I pray that you help my parents continue to grow because I know that they're not perfect and they, they need your help. When's the last time you just encouraged your parents Wrote them a nice note and said, Mom, Dad, I love you. You're amazing. Here's something I really appreciate about you. In the ways that they show up for you, when's the last time that you showed up for your parents? Do you call them just when you need something, or do you call them just to let them know that you're thinking about them and that you love them? I believe that parents, the main responsibility is for parents to provide and for and invest into their children. But you guys, no matter how old or young you are, you have something to offer your parents. You're not useless in that relationship. Continue to inspire and encourage and love on your parents and honor them in this way. Like I said earlier, even if they're struggling, and maybe especially if your parents are struggling, that's an opportunity for you to invest into that relationship in a way where they need that love. I wanna turn the tables for just the last few minutes that we have together here and, and talk to parents. Parents, as you know, it's hard to honor your father and your mother. Why? Because at whatever stage you're at in life, you're smarter than them, right? I mean, I still am. Um, And, you know, it's hard. No one can really grind your gears like your parents can, you know? You have, like, the most intense fights with your parents, or, or you can. It's difficult sometimes. You know that it's hard because you struggle with sin, and your parents struggle with sin, and you know that's hard. So you know that you want your kids to honor you, because that's nice, but also because it fulfills God's law. And here's what I would say is don't make it harder for them than it needs to be, and like uh, I don't, I don't think any parent woke up this morning. It's like I'm going to make it really hard for my kids to honor me, but I think sometimes we accidentally do. When we were reading through Colossians three, uh, we were, uh, we, we were talking about uh, parents not exasperating or not embittering their children, not making it difficult for them to thrive in this. I had kind of come up with this idea before Avra was born. Um, I really like making spreadsheets, you know, with all the cool formulas and stuff. And I thought, maybe I'll make this sweet spreadsheet. And every time I spend money on Avra, there's an expense, and maybe I'd, like, kind of divvy up her portion of the utilities and mortgage and stuff. And I'd, I'd prorate it based on her size and stuff like that, too. But I'd, I'd, I'd put that in the spreadsheet. And if I was investing time, you know, I did this, this, I'd put that in and, and have it there so that when she's, like, 10, 12, 14, and she's all entitled and saying things aren't fair and we don't love her and stuff, I could pull up the spreadsheet and be like, hey, listen here. I have spent a lot of coin on you and a lot of time on you, you know, so let me tell you who doesn't deserve something here, you know. Um, I assure you I did not start that spreadsheet. And that's exactly what I mean. I think it's easy to be like, I'm the parent, I'm right, my kids are the ones that are struggling, I think sometimes we make it difficult. And I think if we want to be honored and respected and loved, then we should deserve it. We should make it easier for our kids rather than making it harder. Because I think that if you live a respectable life, it's way more likely that your kids will respect you. And if you live an honorable life, it's more realistic to expect that your kids might honor you. And if your life exudes God's love, your kids have their best chance at living a life that embodies that same love. I want to quickly turn to Romans 13. God's law is not just this thing of the Old Testament. It's this institution, it's this philosophy, it's this idea that stands forever that is really a true representation of who God is throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, this this embodiment of love for us to love him and to love others and to live lives that are saturated in this love. And Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So my encouragement today is go out and love your parents in a way that fulfills God's, God's law. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you are the good and perfect Father. Uh, and it's hard to follow your laws. It's hard to embody your love, God, but I pray that you would continue pushing us forward in that as a church. We love you so much, God. Amen. Before you guys go, I want to really quickly say, uh, next Sunday is Camp Sunday, but next Sunday is also Barefoot Sunday. I am not going to tell you uh, really what that means. Um, It's a bit of a surprise, but I just want to let you know, look forward to it. It's going to be an awesome Sunday, and I hope that you'll all come because it's going to be really great. And if you hear Barefoot Sunday and you're anything like me, I would show up barefoot, but please come wearing some shoes. Anyways, have a great week, guys. Enjoy a donut. We'll see you next Sunday.